You are listening to Great Day Ministries Podcast, where our mission is to affect our community and its surroundings by restoring faith through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This month, we are in our series called Higher Learning. Past opponents will be teaching about the process of preparing for the next level. Wherever you are listening, we hope that you are truly blessed by this message. All right, let's turn to the word of God. Grab your Bibles. Amen. We got some, some learning to do. Exodus chapter 1. I'm only going to give you two scriptures, but I'll tell you about the other one. Amen. So we're going to do Exodus chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 7. Amen. And then we're going to move over to Exodus chapter 2. Amen. And start at verse 7 as well. So 1 and 7, 2 and 7. That's where we're going to start. I will be reading from the New King James Version, so if you have any other version other than New King James, it might read slightly different, but it should say the same thing. Amen. Remain standing after the reading of God's word. We petition the throne of grace and prayer, and at that time you can be seated and hear what thus says the Lord. Amen. Let us begin. Exodus chapter 1, starting at verse 7. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, the people of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and it happen in the event of war, that they also join our enemies and fight against us. And so go up out of the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, pythons, and Ramesses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar, and brick, and all manner of service in the field. All their services in which they made them serve was with rigor. Amen. Let's go to chapter 2 again, starting at verse 7. Should be a flip of the page or move the eyes over. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew woman, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens and saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And he went on the, out the second day, he behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? Then he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? 
Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses heard that surely this thing is known. Amen. Uh, well, let's read 15. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Amen. May God add a blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. I want to start this series in a series entitled Higher Learning. Amen. In today's message, it's going to be simple. Friction. Part one. Friction. Amen. Let's bow, bow your heads. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you for your grace and for your mercy, Lord. I thank you again for the privilege of allowing me to stand before your people, Father God, and in your place to hold and present your precious word, your most powerful word. God, I ask you to bless me right now, Lord. Allow me to step back as you step forward to present this word with power, with authority from you, O Lord. Remove me, O Father God, and let it be all of you. And God, as you do such a thing, we really give your name the praise. For the glory only belongs to you. In Jesus' name we ask and pray. Amen. Come on, give God one more praise before you take your seat. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe you're in the same situation or the same boat as I am. Maybe you cannot recall as well how many times you attended a service or heard a sermon that talked about moving to the next level. Yeah, amen. We all know that God wants to move us to the next level. We know that God intends to move us to the next level. But if anything like me, by the time I went to that next level, I didn't even know I was there. I was actually in the next level before I realized that I was at another level. Now, I want to help you understand before I move any further what we're talking about. And hopefully it's a pretty simple analogy. I want you to imagine, and you have to really imagine, you have to really pay attention to what I'm asking. Especially for some of you who I know God has a right now move. We'll leave that alone. It's for everyone. But there are some of us in this room that has a right now move. We'll get to that. Imagine that you are at the bottom of the stairs. You notice the stairs. You just never went towards the stairs. You never went up the stairs because everything that you needed was on that floor. All of a sudden, Somewhere in your lifetime, you decide to approach those stairs. Now, remember what I said. Everything you need, everything you wanted, or you thought possible to have, you thought possible to have, was on that level. One day, you decide to approach the stairs. The stairs look mighty steep. It looks mighty long. In fact, you cannot see where it ends. You begin to walk up those steps, and maybe you reach the seventh step. You look down. You realize that you are not on the same level that you were before, but you still can't see where you're going. You only can see where you came from. And although you're able to see where you came from, because there's so many stairs before you, and you came such a long way from behind you, it doesn't look like you actually moved because all you see is what you've already seen. Let me say that again. 
because all you see is what you have already seen. Doesn't appear to be anything different. The only reason why you know that you're not on the same level that you were before because the focal point is a little bit different. The little exertion that you had feels a little bit different. Think about that for a while. Now what I want to ask you is, what made you approach the stairs? If you have everything you need on one level, everything that you think that you possibly want it, not just need it, is on that level. Why did you approach the stairs? How many of us have heard the terms all the time that you know, God would make us lenders and not borrowers? But most of us, including me, has been borrowers just about all our lives. But what if God said to you one day, approach the stairs, and I'm going to take borrowing from you. But he didn't tell you that lending was at the top of the stairs. And even though you wanted to peek, you couldn't see nothing but stairs that leads into utter darkness. Think about it. But I want to say, I want you to think, think about it, especially Especially those who come to church and work in church and in called into ministries, etc. How do you expect to be a proficient lender if you were never a sufficient borrower? Think about it. How can you ever think that you can become a proficient lender? We're not talking about crooks. We're not talking about reaching something and getting something so you can lose it like that. Being proficient. How can you become a proficient borrower? Linda, if you never was a sufficient, meaning utilizing what you have, what was provided to you to take care of everything that you needed, a sufficient borrower makes a proficient lender. Think about it. What if we heard all the time, God is going to make us the head and not the tail. But we've been in tail so long that we got comfortable being the tail. How will God ever make you or get you out of your comfort zone? We love to think why we're the tail that God is going to make us the head. But when he sent us to the head, we get afraid because we're too comfortable being the tail. He makes these promises, and we, be, we believe that we believe. Say that one more time. We believe that we believe until it's time to move. Think about it. We, we, we get on our knees, we ask God, we pray, and God delivers. The problem is when he delivers, we question. The question is, why do we question? Well, let me tell you. When God tells us certain things, we like to guess how he's going to do it. Think about it. If God told you that he was going to make you a millionaire, the things you probably is going to start doing because you've been doing it. Think, think, 
if you were into investing and you heard God or a prophet told you that God is going to make you a millionaire, the first thing that's coming to your mind is that my investment is going to hit. So you start investing more. Or you start investing aggressively. Or for some of us who don't invest, we just start playing the lottery. We're going to do something because we think that we know or have an idea of what God or how God is going to do what he said he's going to do. What if God tells you he's going to promote you? And that's all he said, I'm going to give you a promotion. And I'm going to bless you exceedingly that you won't have room enough to receive. You know what we start doing while we're at work? We hear about job opening. That's the one. We start sending our resumes out. No, we start applying. Because we like to take the best guess and try to apply it to God's word. If the best doesn't work, we start moving down the other lines of guessing until we get to the worst. Think. Keep that in mind. Think. We start school. Some of it in here teaches. You tell your class, this semester, over the next three months, we're going to have some surprise quizzes, some pop-up tests. Yes. How many tests are we gonna have? I don't know, three, four. Yes, how many quizzes are we gonna have? I don't know, three or four. That's six, maybe eight, right? Why is it that we were instructed before the class started that we're gonna have surprise tests or pop-up quizzes and we still don't study or do our homework? and like to complain when the grade is not sufficient to what we thought it was, should be. Now apply that to life. God's revealed or told you. You're still trying to help God. There's a higher learning that he wants to take all of us. We're in December. Pray to God that everyone in this room who hears these words is going to see 2020 in Jesus' name. But even though that we're excited that God allow us to be here, it's a, his grace is sufficient. Meaning he's expecting something from you because he's allowed you to partake in a time that you've never seen before. Meaning you don't know what 2020 holds. Getting back to the stairs, keep in mind what I said about the pop-up quizzes. Why would you approach those stairs? What if what was once working stopped working? What is what that you were so used to doesn't seem to add up like it used to anymore. Even though you were on his level and you had everything, what if God began to remove the things that you had? 
or have the things that you have not work for you like it used to. Something has to be induced so that you can for all these years approach those stairs to even attempt to go to a place that you've never been and to be asked to do something that you've never done, that you're not even sure that you can do. You heard the saying. All of us heard the saying. God can make a way out of nowhere. And every time we hear that saying, we actually think that we are professing the power of God. But that's not true. Because if you made that statement, you already know the power of God. You know that God can make a way out of nowhere. But if you making that statement, what you're actually doing is revealing something to yourself, not revealing something about God. Listen. Because what happens is when we get to a certain place and things are not working, we got two options to stay there and be bitter because it's not working or approach the stairs. You have a choice. What do you do? If you say God can make a way out of no way, you profess the power of God by saying God can make a way out of what? No way. But you're also revealing that what you see that way, there is no way. Because you said that too. You said that there is no way. In fact, you said, really, that way is impossible. You said there's no way down that way. But then you profess the power of God. Even though there is no way, even though it is impossible, God can make a way out of no way. Hear that. Don't be, let it be a cliche. Hear it. Please hear it. You said there is no way, but you profess the power of God by your tongue to say that even though I can't see a way, I don't know a way, I don't even believe that there is a way, but God can make a way out of something I can't see, something I even don't even believe. He can still do it. That's what you're saying. That's powerful. You got to believe it. If you're going to say it, I mean, it's been revealed to you. I mean, you acknowledge it, but do you really believe it? How many of you believe that you can obtain the unattainable? How, how many really believe that you can fulfill the impossible? Can you really obtain the impossible? How many of you believe, seriously, in the unbelievable? Folks, it's not easy, but don't lie to yourself. God knows it's not easy. That's why he has to induce 
friction. He know it's not easy for you. He know you will say it, but he know you really don't believe it. He know that even though you know that through him, you can obtain the attainable. The problem is doubt comes in. Watch this. going to figure out something that you don't know. But when you try to figure out, it induces doubt, not belief. You lose power. Listen, listen, listen. Listen to the definition of friction. Listen, watch this. Look at this. Friction is the resistance. I need to get just the first. This is Webster, 2019. Friction is the resistance that one surface or object encounters when moving over another. It is a conflict, an animosity caused by a clash of wills, temperament, or opinions. Friction. You see that? Resistance. If everything is going well on this level and God desire, and you too, to move you to the next level, why would you even approach the stairs? If everything is fine and wonderful and dandy and he has a desire to move you up, but you've never been there and you've been doing this for so long, why would you want to go to the unknown? And he'll send someone and maybe tell you, God is going to take you, you know, take you to the, uh, 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 the stairs, you know. God is going to take you upstairs. You know what you're doing? You're trying to figure out who's going to come to lead me by the hand and walk me up the steps. You're all trying to figure out a way. Friction. We read about Moses. We read about the children of Israel. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Abraham. We didn't read. But before I start with Abraham, I want you to think about something. Okay? I want you to think that God inflict pain. Because friction have purpose. In other words, if you cannot accept, please hear this, if you cannot accept that God implement pain, i.e. implement friction, you're going to give the credit to the devil. Here's the issue with that. When you give credit to the devil because of your church going, because of what you was taught, and you mentally think it's the enemy, you're gonna resist. It's gonna be a natural occurrence. It's a problem. I can't believe this is happening. It's the enemy, and you're gonna resist. And when you resist, guess what God, because it's about his will. He said, it is my will that every one of you prosper. What will of God doesn't manifest? And 
be in good health as thy soul shall prosper. He said that, right? What if I tell you that he implement friction, pain? We blame the enemy, we resist. What made us get to the stairs? What do you think God would do? Take a guess. He implement more friction. You all know these three stories, and that's why I chose them. But I guarantee you, you didn't see the hand and movement of God. Because if you did, you would have learned something and implied it on your own life. Let's look at Abraham. Okay? There's two ways, God, every time you do something, every time you go through something, I want you to understand this. When you're dealing with God and moving to the next level, it's going to be revealed to you. It's going to be revealed to you, and if you a, have a close relationship with God, he's going to tell you. Now, folks, as I said in Delaware this morning, everybody who thinks they have a close relationship with God, don't. Not trying to be funny, okay? In other words, think about it, all right? Um, Tati, you wanted Tatiana to come sing at your church. You know I'm her father. You don't know Tati. But you know, you have to know something about Tati because you want her to come sing at your church. So what do you do? You contact the person who knows Tati. You know me. You have my number, but you don't have Tati's number. So you call me or text me and say, hey, can you talk to your daughter or have her get in contact with me or ask her would she mind singing at my church? Now somebody would say, you know Tatiana asked the same person? Yeah, that's not necessarily true. Because if you know her, you should have a number. I said know her, not know of her, not believe in her. Think, think about it. So, so I, see, there's a difference between relationship and religion. You see, see, religion, you have to go to the elders and ask the elders to pray for you. Relationship, you call him, he answers, and he delivers at your request. That's why the scriptures say the prayers of the righteous availeth much. The righteous have a relationship. How? Because everyone was born into sin and shaped in the never, and everyone righteousness is filthy. But those who have a relationship with him, watch this, he cleansed and turned their filthiness into his righteousness. That's what he's saying. Every tongue that rises against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. This is the inheritance of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, says the Lord. It's not yours. You didn't do anything to become righteous. You was washed in his tub. You don't even own the water. But then for us who, who are religion, then we go back to the whole thing of the Old Testament. You come to church, you get prayed over, you get clean. You don't own a tub. You don't own, see, see, there's a difference between religion and relation. See, that religious thing is like a child. You know how you tell your children to clean it? You know, my mother used to say, you don't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out. You know what that means? I own the pot and I own the window. So if I ask you to take it and throw it, do, do y'all understand what I'm saying? See, religion don't give you ownership. You need request. You need permission. Understand it. Two things. Speaking, if you have that relationship with God, meaning that you are that prophetic, that doesn't mean that, you, that you're, he didn't speak to you, that you don't. It just means that somebody's on a higher level and he wants to take you there. 
or he's going to reveal it to you. Everybody starts at that stage. Some people will stay at that stage. Doesn't mean that you won't be great. Give me an example. He told Abraham. He told Jacob, but he didn't tell Joseph. Was Joseph a great man? Yeah, but he didn't tell Joseph. He revealed it to Joseph, but he didn't tell Joseph. Think about it. He told Moses. He told Gideon. Right? But he didn't tell David. David was the greatest and best king that Israel ever had, but he didn't tell David. So some of you might always be in the revealing mode. That doesn't mean God will not make you great. He knows the plans he has for you. But some of you, some of you are in the telling mode that he told you. You heard it confirmed by another prophet, a dream, a movie, whatever. He told you. I mean, let me, for those who feel like, well, I don't hear, I guess I'm in the real and you feel bad. Let me, let me explain something. Two things. Number one, if he told you, you have very little wiggle room. Very little. If he told you, that means your space in the area of disobedience and making a mistake is extremely limited. He expects for you to do what he told you to do in order to get what he promised that he has for you. Now, on the other hand, if he's revealed it to you through a prophet, through a dream, through a service, I don't know, you have a lot of wiggle room. Believe it or not, you can make a lot of mistakes trying to get what God promised you. The only downside to that is you're wasting a whole lot of time. Time is not on your side in that area. So you finally might get to your dream and your destiny, but you could have been there 40 years ago. Now you're 60, should have got it at 20. So even though you are not that one, yes, you have room that you can make mistakes. Mistakes cost. Remember that. Let's talk about Brother Abraham. God spoke to him. God told him. Get away from your family. Get out of this country. And move. Abraham got up in the morning. He didn't say why. He did. But he didn't lay in bed. Or whenever God revealed it to him, wherever he was, he didn't say, why do I have to leave my dad? Why do I have to leave my Sister, my brothers, where are you taking me? Why am I going there? I mean, it's nice that everyone can be like Abraham and hear God say, I want you to get up and I want you to go. And you go. Now, Abraham did question. But Abraham questioned why he had already packed. Okay, God. We'll put that on the truck. Get this. Okay. Driving. By the way, where am I going? What is it that you want me to do? And while he's driving, God spoke to him. He said, I will bless you. Told him four things. I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you. I will make your descendants a great nation. 
Those are the first three things. Told him the fourth one later. But he told him, why? Listen to what God said. I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you. Listen, I will. I will. Why is he saying that? Because he's moving. See, what you want to do, you want God to tell you all this stuff while you're still sitting there, not moving. Waiting on him to explain the whole plan. That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility, especially if you are a hearer, is to be obedient, to do. I remember when I was working at a camp and the kids were swimming and there was a situation. I was like, okay, everybody get out the pool. And, and a couple of kids swim to the edge of the pool. Mr. Dexter, why we get out? And I told him, I said, listen, when I tell you to get out, I want you to get out. When you get out, you walk to me and ask me, why did you get out? But don't ask me why you're still in the pool. Why do you have to get out? Do y'all understand what I'm saying? In other words, you, I don't mind you questioning me, you know, but I want you to be obedient. You tell your, your son, go wash the dishes. They know they washed the dishes yesterday. They should be in there washing this. Mom, why am I, not why do I have to, why am I washing the dishes when Nicola didn't wash yesterday? Say that, but don't you sit there and question me when I gave you an instruction. That's God. And we still do that. You do that. You come here. For two hours or two and a half hours, you hear what God said, you ponder it, but you never implement it. And then you wonder why next week you're in the same situation. And all of a sudden, after a while, you're going to get tired of church. You're going to get tired of preaching, get tired of sermons. You're going to get tired. You watch. You're going to get tired of paying your, your tithes because your bills hasn't got better. You want to know why? Because you went to school, learned two plus two, but never counted your money when you went to the store. Who does that? I mean, you learn, so you're supposed to implement. So you're learning. Why don't you implement? Watch this. Moses was moving. God told him, I will. God would tell you he will while you're moving to encourage you to keep going. Watch this. Watch this. Moses, then, before he reached his destination, he had to go through Egypt. Before he went into Egypt, Moses, uh, or Abraham, Abraham was thinking, I got to go through Egypt. Hey, listen, um, when we get in Egypt, just so there won't be no problems, just, just pretend to be my sister and not my wife. Because Abraham feared that the beauty of his wife was going to get him killed. Okay, Pastor. No, no, no. Listen. You're on a journey, everyone in here, and everyone in here. If, if this God-fearing man got so scared that he wanted to lie because he feared his life, think about it, think about it. This is my wife. It's part of me. This is what you do. You get so afraid of your anointing when you are in a place that doesn't understand your anointing, you hide it. You are so afraid of what would happen if they found out that you are a God-fearing person who has been called by God and anointed by God. You don't want no one to know because you're scared. You don't want to admit that you're scared, but you're scared. You can never reach your destiny 
unless you go through your Egypt. And when you go through your Egypt, you have to go full force. Folks, watch this. Abraham had a promise over his life. The very lie that he thought that was going to protect him in Egypt almost got him killed by the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh said, why would you do this to me? Do you know what you could have caused me to do? You see this? The very thing, that's because you're thinking God. The very thing that you're doing that you think that you are so afraid that you don't want no one to know would have brought you right through your Egypt and shortened your trip to destiny. Some of us get killed in Egypt. So look at your neighbor. Tell your neighbor, I got to go through my Egypt. If I want to reach my destination, tell the other one, I got to go through my Egypt. Yes, you got to go through your Egypt. Watch this. <laughs> when he was in Egypt, when he was coming out of Egypt, watch this. Now God tells him, after he gets out of Egypt, notice God told him the three. He had four promises for Abraham, but he only told him three. The fourth one he didn't tell until he came out of Egypt. You want to know why? There's a lot of people died in Egypt. There's a lot of people who are supposed to change people, but people change them. Your job with your boyfriend. He liked you because he saw you in church. Then you act like you was in the streets. He treated like you was in the streets. Then you lost him. You thought that's what you had to do because everybody else, the other girl that likes him, she's in the streets. So I got to act like them. No. If you acted like you who you were, you still might have him. And you get so bitter because you lost him. So you give yourself to what you became. Man, you ain't no different. It's okay for sister to go through that pain, but we're so embarrassed when we're a church boy. Church boys are harder on other boys. Church. Some girls even get respected. In fact, boys like church girls. Girls like church boys. The problem is, bad boys don't like church boys. You're trying to fit in with the bad boy when you're a church boy. Hiding your anointing. See, that, that bad boy hiding that church boy is going to get you locked up. It's going to get you hooked. Or it's going to get you dead. That's why God had to wait. He told him the three to keep Abraham moving. He held the one because he said, you just might die in Egypt. Too many of us died in Egypt. Because you haven't applied it. Abraham, God blessed him. He made it out of Egypt. Him and his wife, his anointing. He gets to the place of his destiny. God still didn't say anything. He finally arrived. Watch this. All of a sudden, the Bible said that there was strife between his nephew, which is his adopted son or taken in son, because Sarah couldn't have any kids, he had Lot, his brother's son. But his brother had herdsmen. He had cattle. Abraham had herdsmen. He had cattle. The Bible says that once they reached the destination and started, and they got settled in, the herdsmen of Lot became 
conflicting with the herdsmen of Abraham. And the conflict grew to a point that Lot began to have friction with Abraham. And Abraham had to pull Lot to the side and say, hey, we blood family. We should not allow that friction to come between me and you. Look at all this land. Why don't you take your cradle? If you go north, I go south. If you choose south, I go north. If you go east, I go west. But let us not be like them. We family. Lot agreed. He took his herdsmen. He took his cattle. He pointed towards Sodom, a very prosperous city in the land of Canaan. As soon as you read the scripture, verse 14 states, just like I'm saying, as soon as Lot left, God said, I have given you this land and it will be for you and your descendants forever. The question is, why did God wait for Lot to leave before he gave him his final, gave him his final inheritance? Why? God knows rules. God knows law. If he gave it to him while Lot was there, the rightful thing would be for what? Lot would be the inheritance. I need to get you to the destiny that I want you to get to. So guess what I have to do? I have to remove anything and anyone that's going to hinder me from fulfilling my promise in you. So what, does, what happened? He caused friction. The boyfriend that you were supposed to marry, all of a sudden y'all have some issues and you still upset with him? Give God a praise. Why? Because you loved him. I mean, come on, man. He was tall. He was handsome. You know, everything was working good. He actually had a job. He wasn't, you know, I mean, come on. Everything was working good and you all down. But God said, no, I have a plan for you. You won't let him go unless I cause friction. I keep messing with the ladies, but brothers, it's the same thing go for you with them fine, attractive women. But it also go with your boy, too. We go to jail for our boy because we ain't no snitch. And God know that you are honorable. He know that you can be dedicated to your boy. But he wants you to be more dedicated to him. So what does God do? God will cause friction between you and your boy. That you have to separate. And guess what? He doesn't mind. Watch this. Even with the boyfriend, ladies, guys, he doesn't mind if you keep a long-distance relationship. Long-distance doesn't mean he has to be in Florida. I mean, he can live right around the corner. Long-distance means call him every three months to see how he's doing. Or text her. Or text your boy, hey, I'm thinking about you. That's it. But I can't go where you go. I can't do what you do. Because we don't kind of think the same way. You may be afraid to do that, but the only thing that got you there, God is going to reveal something. He's going to cause some type of friction between you and that particular person. Why? To get that person out of your life. 
Because that person had more influence on you than God. Think about this. Watch this. Let's deal with it. He tells him, I'm going to give this land. He'd been through, watch He'd been through Egypt. What did Abraham want more than anything? Him and his wife. All they wanted was a child. God is telling him, I'm going to give this land to your descendants. Remember, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless everyone who bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. He already prophesied that a nation is going to come out of you. Abraham didn't hear that. Now, especially he's getting older. How is it possible for what God has told me? Some of you have already abandoned the promises that God told you because you're getting older. Especially you women when he's talking about, you know, marriage. Because, see, you have, a, you have a timetable for your marriage. You have a timetable for you having children. God don't. I don't want to have no child at 45. That's too bad. If that's when you're going to have it, that's when you're going to have it. Well, I'm not, I, don't, I don't want to do that. If you're a child of God, you no longer own your life. He owns it. He decides when, who, what. Who? Yes. He sends whom he desires. If you have given your life to him. Paul said, I'm a bond servant of Jesus Christ. That means I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. That means you said, yes, Lord, I have a will, but I have submitted my will unto you, which is a reasonable servant. If you submitted my will unto you and God has authority, he's a, he's a, he's a just, he's a polite God, Bobby. So if you submitted your will unto him and you don't want to marry this one, but God wants you to marry this one, what will God do? He's going to remove that one. If, if y'all love each other, oh my God, y'all, I know y'all not going to believe this. Y'all love each other so much. There's no friction in the world that can keep it. I will swim the, the longest and deepest sea. I will climb the highest mountain. There's no friction. God will kill him. You don't think God will do it? Yes, he will. I got pregnant. You lose it. It's all about his will, not yours. Then you get mad after you gave him the authority. And he's implementing authority, trying to get you to approach the stairs, to take you to where you want to go. But you are angry and scared. Thinking that what you know now will not equip you from where you're supposed to be going. You feel that you're going to fail to where God wants to take you. What do I know? I don't see anything up there. Listen to this. Let's look at Israel. What's the verse that I read? Joseph and his family and all that generation died. And that's what he said, right? Verse 1, they died. What did it say? And the children of Israel prospered mightily in that land. They multiplied. Y'all read it, right? Then what happened? They grew and they kept multiplying, right? God told Abraham, I'm going to make you, your descendants, great nation. I'm going to give you this land. The children of Israel went in as a family. A couple of boys, 
Some had wives, some didn't. They walked in from Canaan from a famine. They walked into Egypt as a family. Inside of Egypt, years went by, they grew. And they grew. And they prospered. And everything was working out wonderful. Some of them, their kids got married, their kids got married. All this, and they had children. Some even maybe even married some of the Egyptians. And, and they made their home. But this level was not supposed to be your home. You just got comfortable. Come on, you bought a house. You got married. You had babies. You got a promotion on your job. And then God said, okay, it's time to leave. Who wants to go? Nobody wants to go. I, I got a good life here. So what does God do? He speaks to the Egyptian. Egyptians start thinking, wow, they growing. They're mighty. And the Bible said they begin to inflict vigor, rigor, bitter, pain. And when they inflicted the pain, what did the scripture say? And the children of Israel grew even more. What? What is God doing? God is watching Baps to say, oh, they're going through it. But they're finally starting to do what I need them to do. So what do I need them to do to do even more? He inflicted a little bit more. Think about it. I got Roxanne. Roxanne, she's finally doing it. She's praying. So what I got to do? I got to hit her a little bit more. Everybody's bitterness is different than others. You, the bats will look at Roxanne and go, she looks fine because, well, she's not going through what you're going through. So you think she looks fine. But if you ever sit down and talk to her and let her talk to about her bit vigor, her bitterness, you'll never know about looking. You can't look at a person and find strife. Can't. Everybody looks beautiful. You come to church, you dress wonderful. And we, and, and even if you ask them, how you doing, Gerald? I'm blessed. You know, you ask Sister Candace, how you doing? Blessed, highly favored. You ask the older sister, too blessed to be stressed. Knowing she's stressed. Tell the truth, she knows she's stressed. But that's how she gives you the answer. Why? Because nobody wants to know, wants you to know the bitterness that they're going through. And the thing about it is, God is only going to increase that bitterness. He's going to increase the harsh. Why? To get you to approach those stairs. He has a plan for you. The children of Israel begin. All of a sudden, they begin to put more pressure on them. Watch. They even got to a point, watch that he instructed them to make bricks out of straw. Watch it. The bigger the problem, the harsher it is, it's a sign for you that it's time to go. Let me say it again. Even on your job, things are just so different. Yeah, you're going to hang in there. It's your job. You got to pay your car payment. You got a family. You got kids. Things are just so different. He's going to make it worse. And what you going to do? Because it's the only thing you know. You're going to hang. You know, what, what can I say? You know, what can I do? I got to come to work. I need a job. Yep. 
And could he just keep on putting pain because you got to go? All God was saying was, now is the process how you're learning for to get you ready to leave. The change happened when friction started. Friction has purpose. Finally, let's talk a little bit about Moses before I close. Moses needed to receive an Egyptian education. God had to somehow get him inside the house. The babies that was born, boy, I know y'all can y'all gonna get me. The babies that was born at the same time as Moses was insignificant to the promotion that's needed for Moses. The babies was collateral damage in the midst of a spiritual war. It's his will being done. Don't look at God as a bad person. He had purpose. Nothing wrong with Nothing happened to the baby. They came down. Their whole destiny was to come down for a few months or a year to what? Come back home. They fulfilled their purpose. Don't look at it. It's just a, it's just a machine. I know it hurt the parents, but it's just a machine. God said, I got the soul. And I'm going to resurrect this soul because I gave it a soul. I'm going to resurrect this soul. But right now, what's your purpose? Just go. Be there for three months, six months, 12 months. Come back home. We're crying. Oh, my God. I can't believe God did. We give too much credit to Satan. Because if they didn't did it, Moses' mother would have never pushed him into that river. She loved her baby. Why would she do it? God needed him to be on the other side. So what did God do? He allowed the harshness to do what? To move Moses. Harsh makes you move. I mean, unless you have the mind of Abraham. Get up and go, and you go. How many of us actually have that? If you do, don't worry about what I'm telling you. If you don't, get ready, get ready, get ready. Moses moved on. Midwife, call him. Pharaoh's sister found him raised him as her own Moses grew up as an Egyptian he grew up in a palace he grew up royal he grew up with the best education ate the best food slept in the best bed in the best house until something happened the scripture Moses grew up that's what it says read it when he grew up he went out to see the pain that was afflicted upon his brothers. Now, wait, wait, wait. Before that day, Moses knew he was a Hebrew. Now, he may not have known right away because he grew up in that house, but somewhere in his adulthood, something happened. But before then, he knew he was a Hebrew. You would think Moses would be grateful. I mean, they out there, slaves, being whipped and doing hard labor. He's eating lobster, sushi. He's eating the best food, living in the best place. Well, all of a sudden, he goes out, he sees an Egyptian harming 
an Israelite? He kills them. Let me tell you why. Because friction happens within first. You see, Moses had an identity issue. All of a sudden, Moses, somehow, someway, not when he just became grown, but in his adulthood, he began to have a conflict. Look at the definition. A resistance within himself. Come on, y'all. Some of y'all wants to be this, but God is calling you to be that. And you know, you feel there's nothing wrong with you being this. You're justifying being this, but God wants you to be that. And you are constantly fighting, not with your family, but with you. Friction before it starts here, before you even approach the stairs. I told you all those things that's going to happen. You're going to lose this. You're going to have promise here. Things is not going to work right. But before then, you're going to feel it before you see it. You're going to feel like you need something different. You know how I know when there's a child ready to move out of my house? They start acting like they're an adult. See, you're only in my house. I don't care if that... Age doesn't make you an adult in my house. It don't. Because at appropriate age, you don't have to tell me where you're going to do all stuff. That's at appropriate age. But when you're in my house, you still follow my rules. But when you start balking against my rules, first thing that's telling me, you're causing friction. Time for you to go. God is calling you to another level. Upstairs? <laughs> Over there? <laughs> But you got to get out of my house. Friction calls you to move. <laughs> Moses was endured this friction within himself. I don't know if he didn't like himself. I don't know if he was troubled. But you would think, hey, man, look, you're gracious. You got other Egyptians, uh, Israelites, helping out the Egyptians. They were, they were taskmasters. You a prince. What's your issue? Moses still battling with himself. He needed to find comfort. He needed a way that he can be able to fit in. He kills the Egyptian. Why? He needed to cope with his pain. How many of you is feeling that conflict and you did something that maybe you later regret? Trying to cope with what you're feeling. Think about it. You feeling it. You ain't telling nobody. You smiling. Too blessed to be stressed. But you did something to cope with the conflict, the resistance that you had. And you feel bad about it. Moses felt bad about what he did. He goes back out. As a prince, he's overlooking his people. Then he see a an Israelite, a Hebrew fighting another Hebrew. He tries to be the better man and say, hey, 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 wow. y'all brothers. Why would y'all do that? And then the Hebrew says to him, who made you just because you a prince? Now you know you one of us. You ain't one of us. You ain't out here making bricks. You're not here building cities, breaking bricks. You're not getting whipped. Who made you our judge? If I don't do what you're going to do, what you're going to do? 
Kill me like you killed that Egyptian? Moses, they know. I know that's not what y'all was hoping for. See, that little dirt comes to light. Just to the right people. Why? So the pain can be inflicted more. It's going to embarrass you and hurt you more. Why? To get you to move. Moses had to move. He had to leave. The only way he can ever reach his destiny, he runs, the Pharaoh finds out, he runs into the wilderness. Don't listen to the Ten Commandments. He runs into the wilderness. He sits by the well, and destiny walks up. He didn't supposed to be there in his mind. He didn't want to be there in his mind. He lived in the city. He didn't live as a shepherd or a farmer. He's in a place that he's not used to. He's a warrior, not a shepherd. He's a prince, not a farmer. He found himself at a well. You're going to find yourself, even though you got this degree, doing something totally different than what you went to school for. Why? You're in training. You might even pick up that degree and go back to it, but after you graduate from a higher learning, after you graduate from God's university, or you decide to walk away from God. I mean, Moses sat at a well. Water flew through the Nile. He never pumped water before. I always read that story when I go, Moses sat at a well. You just walked through a desert. I'm just being real. I might be wrong, but think about it. You just walked through a, a, a desert, and the Bible says he sat at a well. The first thing I think the Bible should have said is he pumped water. I mean, you just walked through a desert. But my thinking, this is Dexter, not the Bible. This man got to a well. No water was down there, but just didn't know how to pump it. So he sat there until destiny walks up. Would you like some water? Something as simple as pumping water, Moses didn't know how to do because he was out of his comfort zone. God is going to take you to some place that is not going to be hard for some, but it's going to be difficult for you. And he's going to take you out of your comfort zone and you're not going to know what to do before a moment you're just going to sit there and contemplate. Is it worth going back to great day? <laughs> Is it worth listening to the pastor? You're going to contemplate that thing? You're going to worry because I don't see anything. No, because all you see is stairs in front of you and stairs behind you and have no idea that you're standing in the midst of your destiny with the pain, with the bitterness, with the harshness still around you. All he's doing is teaching you. You can't get from the 10th grade to the 11th grade without prepping you for a higher learning. Any good teacher in the 10th grade is going to prep you for what you're going to encounter in the 11th grade and so forth. And just because you're going to the 11th grade from the 10th grade, somebody's going from the 12th grade to the college. They may be a little more harsher than you because their promotion is different, but everybody must have a higher learning to go to the next level. 
Friction is staying up late trying to get that paper together. Friction is studying trying to pass that test. We know people drop out. It's not that they can't handle it. They drop out because they're afraid that they can't handle it. Do you understand the difference? You quit because you're afraid you can't stay. I can do all things through Christ. Do you believe it? You keep quoting it, but do you believe it? When you feel like you're in front of that test, let's change that analogy. When you feel like you are facing a frictional moment, a test moment, when you feel like you're dealing with that, then quote God's word. You said you'll never leave me. You said through you I can do all things. Remind him he's faithful. He wants to take you. I see men coming here all the time. You know what men, when they get saved, you know what they think? They think as soon as they get saved, the next level is pastor. That's what they do. They're not ready. They start going to become a pastor. Then after that, they say the next level is supposed to be bishop. Now they get so antsy and God wants to change them, they're creating titles. I'm an overseer. I'm an apostle. I'm a grand apostle. Don't you know God can take you to levels without changing your title? Don't you know that you can do even greater things without announcing it? You, you got to let God be God. You're not allowing God to be God. You keep fighting the resistance. You got to trust him. I'm a living witness. I'm not standing up here preaching this message. I'm sharing this message that God has told me, when are you going to do what I asked you to do? I'm uncomfortable. I get up here and I'm preaching. I'm teaching. I live it. I believe it. I told him in Delaware, I'm not a believer in God. I know God. I got his number. You know the old mothers used to say, Jesus on the main line, tell him what you want. No. Uh-uh. Everybody don't have Jesus on the main line. I do. I don't care what you say. Do you believe in God? Yes. Do you? No. I don't believe in God. I know God. There's a difference. You know the thing, you can't make me down here. I know too. They say I believe too much about him. I know too much about him. How much do you know? And that's where I was at. I know. But how did I find myself dealing with friction within myself? Why? Because he said, you're afraid to walk to those stairs. Because since you was in the ninth grade, 400 years the children of Israel was Egypt. That wasn't just a land of matrix. That was home. Grandma came, had kids, died. You're hearing the story. You're ready to go home. The game is going to be on soon. But you're not internalizing this. Internalize it. Imagine if all y'all black folks has gone back to Africa. And you live in, I don't know, how you going to cope? Would you want to go? I mean, you went to school here. You got family here. God said, okay, I want you to leave. This is not easy. For them, it's not going to be easy for you. It wasn't easy for me until he put you in a position that's saying, it's not going to get better on this level. The only hope that you have is to approach the stairs and walk. I don't want to be a pastor, but he called you anyway. I don't want to stay a deacon, but you ain't going to make it. You do what he wants you to do. Let him give you the promotion. You don't preach messages. You deliver them. 
You tell them, well, I tell people I'm, I'm a worse preacher, but I'm honest. I wish I can go, mm, I can't. All I can do is tell you the truth. Once I tell you the truth, if you apply, guarantee you'll come back. If you don't apply, what is he talking about? He, he speaks too long. Folks, listen to me what I'm saying. Friction is going to get you to move if you have submitted. If you haven't submitted, you're just going to get miserable. Misery loves company. You know what misery people do? They find people more miserable than them to make them feel better about themselves and they stay right there. That's what they do. You keep hanging around some people that's going to keep you to what? And they're, and they're talk down your plan. How are you going to do that? Girl, that's going to be hard with good luck. And they're, and, and, or they'll hit you because they know you go to church. I'll be praying for you. No, they ain't going to pray for themselves. What makes you think they're going to pray for you? Tell the truth. And we, get, we, we surround ourselves with those people. Every time you come to church, when I was doing counseling, group counseling, closing, group counseling, yes, I made them boys go through some things. I made them say things. You know how hard it is for a 16-year-old boy in the midst of 10 other boys to say I was raped? You know how hard it is for a girl to do that? But for a female to do it, it seems more acceptable in society. A little boy do it. You know how hard that is? We had something we call challenge week. That whole week with these boys, I, I told them, I challenge you to challenge yourself. To break free. And things that we didn't even have in the file will come out of the mouths of some of these kids. And when these kids, and I would tell them, what are you at? I said, you got a probably hundreds, tens to hundreds of thousands of people in the city of Trenton, Hamilton, Ewan, Lawrence, but you was lucky enough to come here. And they go, lucky? I, I, I'm forced to go to group? This was intensive group. These are kids who are extremely at risk. They had to go five days a week, not two days, not one day. They look at me, Mr. Dexter, lucky? I said, yes. Because for five days a week, you are in a university. You're learning about life that they are not. Because no one told them. But in here, you're going to learn everything. I know it's behavior. They didn't get it. I closed my door. They wanted me to do psycho, psychosocial therapy. You know what I did? I told them how to write a checkbook. I told them how to balance. I had them carry around babies. Yo, females did that at school for health. They don't let the boys, no. Wait, my, my, my counselor was like, Dexter, what are you doing? I said, just trust me. That's not counseling. These kids have behavioral problems. Yeah, he's angry with his father. Let me see what it was like being one. Then challenge group, we were talking about his dad. That's what I did. I got awards. I'm not trying to be fun. I'm not boasting myself. I got awards. Oh, he's one of the greatest counselors. I'm not, I'm, 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 be honest with you, I think I'm a better preacher than I was a counselor. And I just told you, I suck at that. So how did I do it? Two things I did. I showed them life. Life would free you. Secondly, I told them the truth. The Bible said truth would free you. I never had to reveal to them young men that I'm a pastor. But they start asking me about God. And when they asked me about God, the state of New Jersey said I have the right to use anything that's a strength to them. And I can now, I can preach. 
Now I can bring them a Bible. To do what? To set them even more free. When Lemuel passed away, I received two phone calls. I lied to you not. Two days later, I received eight. Some of them don't, they barely know her. You know what they knew? They knew that I mentored her. Mr. D, I'm sorry. You're the only father I know. Stay encouraged. I wouldn't be like this if it wasn't for you. I'm down. They encouraged me. The same men that the state wanted to throw away. Friction got them there. Friction saved their life. Friction kept them out of jail. Friction kept them from being an addict. Not everybody made it. Not everybody in here is going to make it. Some of you want to get home. I know that. But if you take this higher learning from Dexter's University, owned by God himself, and applied in your life, don't worry about somebody mock you. I said Dexter University because somebody had said, yeah, I can tell you went to Dexter University. Oh, well, you know, just because you can't afford to go, because it is, it is expensive. They're just mad because you know what they don't. I'm just telling you the truth. <laughs> Trust me, it's expensive. I'm not talking about ties. I'm talking about attention. Everybody can't pay attention. <laughs> they don't get it. Apply it. Understand friction. Before I get to the, the second and the third and the fourth of this, you have to be able to relax and accept the friction. And how do you do that? You have to eliminate your fear. You think that you have, but you haven't. You have to be willing to go to an unknown place that you never went before to do something that wasn't even instructed for you to do. Who applies for a job without reading the job description? Only the children of God. He just said, who would I send? And you are supposed to say, by the mercies of God, for your reasonable service, send me before you even know where you're going and what you have to do. Why? Because you said he owns you. It's not easy. I'm just getting it. He told, I'm not going to tell you what he told me. Later on, I will. But I'm just getting it. 2019, I'm hoping 2020 I can go graduate and get my master's degree from God. Because Lord knows this was a learning year. It's your time. Part one, accept it. Believe it. Talk it out if you need to. Work it out if you want to. You know. Everybody else in here don't know the friction. Everybody in here don't know the pain that you're enduring. The inner pain, the situational pain inside your house, inside your job, in your family, with your boyfriend, with your girlfriend, with your husband. Everybody don't know. But I guarantee you, if you was honest and I asked you to st stand up, I bet you 80% in here if, or more will, I'm going to ask you to do it. So why am I saying, why, why, why are we doing it? Because God wants to get you away from the friction and move you to the next level. It doesn't mean he's gonna, he needs to move you. Tell him, I'm ready to go. Even though you're going to approach and them steps look deep and on top is dark, go. Move. I challenge you today. Part one, I challenge you. This is your challenge. Move. Go to the unknown. Do the unexpected. 
and believe God. Come on, give God some praise. Stand on your feet. Come on, give God some praise. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. I know you don't know, I know you don't know, I know you don't understand. I know you don't know, I know you don't understand, but give him a praise anyway because he's giving you the opportunity not just to praise him, but to move to a whole new level. Hallelujah! I have to endure my friction. I have to endure my friction to move to the next level. I didn't say to get to the next level, but I have to be able to move. Hallelujah. Understand what I'm telling you. Friction is not going to get you to your destiny, but friction is going to make you move. A GPS can't tell you where you're going unless you're moving. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father.